thank you for being back with me. I say me because it's just me tonight. Um, if you've been following along in our series, we've been doing a series through Bible Studies for Life, which is provided by Lifeway. And this six-part series is on how to share Christ. And we've gone through several of the topics. We've missed a few. Um, we, our oldest was married last weekend. Uh, we've traveled. Uh, some was planned. Some was unplanned. And uh, so we've been uh, busy. And uh, not busy, not too busy, but sometimes when those things are, it's hard to uh, plan time to record and then get that video uploaded. Uh, we have a 19-month-old that's a little demanding, and we've had him with us all week uh, due to not being able to be in daycare. So it's been a good time. But today we're going to talk about a, a familiar parable. And I want to challenge us to take it the way the author has taken it and apply it that way. But I want to challenge us to look at it a little bit deeper and potentially how some of the first century Jews might have looked at this parable. It's the parable of the sower. And uh, if you're familiar with Bible teachings at all, you probably already are going to begin to get some pictures of this and um, may even have some mental pictures because you may have seen some cartoons drawn uh, of this parable or to help define this parable but it's found in Matthew 13 so if you have your book we're on page 117 if you have your Bible go ahead and turn over to Matthew 13 and uh, let's look at this parable and be reminded of a couple of things number one uh, God is always at work uh, God is always doing something um, God's Spirit uh, is always at work God is always present um, God is knowable and uh, because of that, then what you and I do matters, but it doesn't matter to the level that we think it does. In other words, we can't judge and gauge our own success or failure, uh, especially when it comes to talking and sharing about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at this parable. The author starts out with a, I'll just be generous and say it's quite an interesting introduction, and it just compares... Um, leading to someone leading someone to faith in Jesus as being a part of a bucket list and uh, I'm not a big fan of the term bucket list at all um, if you are I mean I, I just am not uh, we're eternal beings you know um, I don't believe there's things that I can't do on the physical earth now that I won't be able to do in the future if they're that big of a deal quite frankly um, and so that kind of might tell you a little bit of where my my theology is on on who God is and what what our abilities are and, and what he's created us to be but the second thing is it puts the idea of you know getting someone to share have faith in Christ as the onus beyond on us and now I will say this I've read through this author's teachings and, and the way that she has laid out this uh, scripture over the last several weeks and, and that has not been the way she's done it it just that's the reflection it kind of leaves with me and I'll probably quite unintentional on her part. So, Matthew 13, uh, we're going to begin in verse 3. And Jesus told them many things in parables, and he said, Consider the sower who went out to sow, and he sowed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. So as we get into this passage, I want to just challenge us a little bit here to think of this story as being a story of Israel. That when Jesus came telling parables, he was challenging the Jewish people, a people that knew their history, a people that knew their reputation, a people that were looking for a change. They were looking for a spiritual, literal, physical change to happen in their lives. They followed Messiah after Messiah after Messiah. Uh, they were looking, they believed, uh, they were reading the book of Daniel, they knew the book of Daniel inside and out, they knew the book of Isaiah. They knew that there was a Messiah coming. They knew there was going to be deliverance. They felt strongly that they were in that time period where it would happen. And they were actively looking for a Messiah. So when Jesus shows up and gives them four types of soil, uh, this is language they're very familiar with. This is, they would have, some of them would have immediately begun to think back historically they're not thinking just like you and I are in terms of agrarian society and, and what's planted and growing. They're thinking in terms of their history. They're thinking in terms of, of uh, their plan or their hope for a Messiah. And they're thinking about which group didn't receive one and what was happening during that time period and what happened when they went to exile and all of these things. And, and these are people that are well-versed in this. And so I, I read a, one of the commentaries I was reading on this passage and it just offered that this is also very, this is the same language that's used uh, to describe the statue uh, in the book of Daniel, the four types of materials, you know, the gold, the silver, the, the bronze, and the iron. And uh, so whether that's what Jesus is after or not, the truth there that the first century Jews would have known to look deeper than the story is definitely there. And I, I want to challenge us on this because, you know, a lot of times we might think, well, the parables were just for those people, just for the Jewish people. But I think that we would probably do well to figure out how to tell parables ourselves. Um, because a parable does something to you as it's being told. And what it does is it gives you the opportunity to number one, accept or reject the story. It's just being either, either this thing has some pertinent to me, or you know, it has some value to me, or it is absolutely without value. So that's the first thing a parable does. You say, what is this story? Does this story even have any value to me? And so you either accept it as having some value, or you absolutely reject it. But if you accept it as having some value, then you are forced to consider, okay, at what point and at what part am I a part of this story? And so when Jesus told parable, the idea was to force his listeners to take ownership of the story or disown the story. You can go read the times that they rejected him. That's number one. Number two, for them to realize who, where they are in this story. And so I think this is a huge part of the story here at the parable when Jesus tells this because he's given them an opportunity to see which kind they are. And so, uh, let's, I mean, let's just say this here. 
And let me say this very carefully. A lot of times you'll hear people say, well, all people need is bold Bible preaching. Well, I would, I would have to say that if they mean by that, that people need to understand God's love for them, God's desire for them, God's presence around them, uh, God's call for them to seek Him, God's patience with people, then yes, people just need bold Bible preaching. But a lot of times that statement, bold Bible preaching, is just code words for let me just beat up on you and tell you how horrible of a human you are and how much better I am, you know, subsequently. And here's what you need to do to get halfway to where I'm at. Jesus didn't do that. I mean, there were times that he absolutely boldly confronted people, but there were so many times that he told a story and, and just walked away and left it on the table to the point that more than once his own disciples came to him and said, okay, we get the story, but you're going to have to really tell us something about it. What does that mean to us? Because that's what he's doing. He gives us a free will, and he's giving us an opportunity to accept or reject and to, to move in and out of this story. So uh, you, have, you, have four, you, have, you have four types of path. Because you have the, the, the path, you know, the actually path where people walked. Um, and so then you, and, and, and the, the ground was so compacted that the seed landed there. And the birds came and just, you know, plugged it right off the top of the ground. It didn't even get into the soil. Uh, the second, where it's rocky. So like chalky, rocky ground. And, it, you know, it falls down into the soil a little bit. Uh, it sprouts up, but it doesn't have any way to sustain itself because there's nowhere for the roots to go. Okay, um, and you know, the sun just basically burns it away. The third one, uh, it falls on the side among thorns, and the idea there is there's a lot of other things growing there. It joins the things that are growing there. There's no real difference between the two, and it gets choked out uh, because the weeds grow faster and taller than it does. And the last one is the fact that some just falls on good ground. But the part about the sun that falls on good ground is it doesn't, you know, one seed doesn't equal one result. One seed might equal 30, 60, or 100 times. And, you know, sometimes we get the idea that this is just a, a wild and careless sower. This is a guy that goes everywhere. And by the way, I'm not condemning this at all. But there's a guy that everywhere he goes, he leaves a track, you know, a little gospel track laying somewhere. Uh, everybody sees, he says, you know, do you love Jesus? And, or, you know, do you know where you're going when you die, etc., etc. And And once again, that's not, that's not critiquing that at all. What I'm saying is that I don't believe that this passage is reflective of somebody who just goes wildly doing something or does something everywhere. What this passage is showing us is that where God's word does fall on good soil, the results are what we cannot measure. And so while there is the need to sow, there's also the need to recognize God's ability to bring a, a, a reward, God's ability to bring something from nothing. Uh, and multiply far far beyond what we can ever imagine. And so as we look at the sower, this is the reminder for us today as we look at this passage of God's ability, okay? Um, this sower is not careless. He's not out there just chunking the seed because he feels like it. Um, he's chunking the seed in the ground, but as he goes, he's, you know, it's, it's, it's going further than, than, than the field. And when you consider this in the light of Israel, Israel had stages that they had gone through, stages where they had rejected the prophets, stages where they had repented. They had a very cyclical uh, relationship with God where they would repent uh, 
and you know of their selfishness of their self-promotion and they would seek God and God would bless them they would they would be blessed and then they would become selfish again and they would become self-centered again and they would fall into you know these patterns of destructive behavior and you know they would reap the consequences of those patterns of destructive behavior and then you know it was just a cyclical you know uh, relationship and so here's the reality for us today our job is to share the good news of Jesus and that may be in a person-to-person -person conversation with someone where you have the opportunity to have a direct conversation with them about the person of Jesus and his work and his presence on earth and the role that he plays in our lives now and what he desires for us and that's a part of it but another huge part of it is who we are day in and day out how we speak to people how we treat people how we respond in our circumstances um, a lot of times we get this idea that we can make good of our bad that we can you know I let me speak to this I mean you know the, the person that <laughs> that leaves a, a fake million dollar bill on the on the table in the restaurant, you know, this gospel track, telling someone they need Jesus, uh, complaining about the service they received on that same bill. And you see how that would work in relation. So our responsibility is to sow the good news of Jesus. That's our responsibility. God brings about a reward. And so Jesus goes on and, and he, talks, he talks through this parable. He says, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. I mean, you go back through Jewish history and all the time, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, all these prophets are saying, hey, you need to repent, you need to love God, you need to love your neighbor. And, and, and then along the other side, you've got these other false prophets coming along saying, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need to worry about that. You just need to go to the temple twice a year. You need to do this, or you need to do this function, or, or you need to pay this tithe, or whatever, like the Pharisees are telling them at that time. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 it's, it's about more than that. And so he says, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And, man, I, well, I don't want to get too distracted here, but that's the picture there of what happens in our life when we allow our own desires, our own hardness, our selfishness just boils up and just and just blocks out receiving the good news. Uh, and then he says this, and the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So somebody hears it and like, oh man, this sounds great, I'll do this. But then it becomes difficult. And they don't, they don't take the time or the energy to really invest and, and learn and so and it has no it has no root and it's short-lived and it just immediately falls away when distress or persecution comes because of the word it immediately falls away and then he goes on now the one soul among thorns this is the one who hears the word but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful so i don't know if you can tell it's missing christy there i stopped instead of reading all the way through i started stopping and breaking it up and go ahead and begin to speak to it but you know the, the reality of these things are if you and I are a picture of the sower, our responsibility is to sow. Uh, and we sow every single day. I, I sometimes tell people, and I, I know I, I can be a little offensive when I say this, but a lot of times people say, well, the most important thing you can do, um, you know, quote unquote, as a Christian American is, is vote. 
And I say this, I say I do a thousand things a day that are more important than my vote. And I vote, and I think it's important, but the way I treat my neighbor, the thoughts I have towards them, the prayers I pray for them, uh, what I do when I'm offended, what I do when I'm mistreated, what I do when I'm right, um, all of those things, they shape me and they shape my world much further than checking a box on a piece of paper or on a computer screen. And this is what is happening with us in our lives that, that everywhere we go, we are sowing the truth of God's kingdom. We are sowing the truth of God's kingdom. We don't look and say, oh, over the cave, over there, that's rocky ground. I'm not going over there. Or over there, there's a hard path, and I'm going to go over there and be nice to those people, and I'm going to walk out of here, and they're going to mock me because I was too weak or I wasn't strong enough or whatever. That's not the point. Our responsibility, our desire is to do that which tells the truth of God's kingdom. And so let's just go on to the last verse. And, and we're just going to stop and sit here for just a minute because um, this is one we love to think about. It says, but the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. And so Jesus finishes this parable and he says, all of it is worth it for the one good seed. All of it is worth it for the one good seed. And I challenge you to think about the one good seed as being the one good seed that you never actually see. The person that we never see attend our church, but maybe over the course of a decade or two decades, begins to listen, begins to apply themselves, begins to learn spiritual truths, maybe attends a different church, maybe begins to do things with another group of people, but they don't ever follow after us, but they do follow after Jesus. Maybe you begin to think along the ways of quit trying to understand whether or not it was worth it, because it's worth it. And I can tell you it's worth it like this. Wherever you're at, you can look around and you can see the result of God's kingdom at work. You see it at work. There are people probably that you work with or that you know that are that are proof positive of God's kingdom at work. If you attend a church, there are people that that church that are proof positive of God's kingdom at work. If you have friends, whatever it may be, everywhere around you, you have the ability to see this. And somebody somewhere sowed a seed. And God brought about the harvest. And so you and I's responsibility is not to gauge whether or not uh, our seed sowing is, is bringing the harvest we want or not, but rather to go sow it, which literally means that everywhere we go and in every circumstance we find ourselves, we have an opportunity to do that. So as we've gone through this series, I hope that that last challenge will ring through uh, and stay faithful in your mind that it's a responsibility to sow wherever we go. Thank you. And God bless you.